Hi, everyone. Welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast, it's all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life. I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 14. I am so glad you tuned in because we are joined by Britt Frank. Britt is a brand new author of an incredible book called The Science of Stuck. Now, she is a clinician, an educator, trauma specialist. She speaks and writes widely about the mental health myths that just keep us stuck and stressed. She received her BA from Duke University. She is also an award-winning adjunct professor at University of Kansas, and she's with us here on episode 14. Now, before we begin this conversation, question for you, when was the last time you felt stuck? Tough to explain, but you know what I mean, either in your personal life or your professional life. And maybe it's right now. I know I certainly have had that feeling. And how do we get unstuck? Now, as you listen to this conversation, think about just the one, maybe two things you can implement in your life. You're going to have a lot more than that, but let's see if we can narrow it down to just a couple. And so now, let's listen in to episode 14, and here is Britt Frank. So, Britt, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. Hi. How are you? I was just reading your Instagram message. I am well. Thank you so much for having me. Britt, tell us a little bit about how did you land in this career field? Of all the things you could do with your life and your time and your talents, how did you pick being a licensed psychotherapist? <laughs> I don't know too many people in the healing arts who had functional childhoods. I think most of us end up in this line of work from the, okay, well, life didn't exactly work out the way I planned. I figured some things out through my own healing process. I was actually out of school. I was in advertising. And after I started to get my life back on track, I found out all I wanted to do was read about, study about, talk about mental health, the nervous system, neuroscience, healing. So really? I figured out if I'm spending this much time doing it for fun. I should probably do this for a career. So I pivoted and went back to grad school when I was 30 and became a therapist. All right. So you were in that you were in the corporate America advertising for a while. A little bit. That was super right. not good for me. It's trauma, your what I call a specialty. Sorry for being so uh, inept in some of my language here. So trauma is the special the specialized training that I have. I have a postgraduate education in two different forms of trauma therapy, but really my my clientele is, I would say half of them are people who come for what you would call the traditional mental, healthy stuff, anxiety, depression, et cetera. But the other half are coming because they just feel like I don't have any big crisis. I don't have any huge trauma. I didn't have a bad childhood, but something's not working in my life. And I feel like there's more for me and there's more that I could be doing and thinking and saying, help me expand what's already working. So I do both. Let's expand what's already working and let's tend to what's not working. So then you can expand it. Okay. So your new books, the science of stuck. I, I just want to dive into this and ask you some questions about this. I mean, the, the subtitle is breaking through inertia to find your path forward. Uh, I, I'm curious, but how did you land on this topic of all the areas you could go with your uh, book being an author now? Why this one? Why was this so important to you? So when I was early in my recovery and I had all the things, I had depression, I had drug addiction, eating disorder, like the long list of what you would call a DSM diagnosis. It, it was just a disaster. And what I needed when I was early in my recovery was not the giant stack of self-help books that we all have sitting on our nightstand. I needed one book that just sort of synthesized everything. I had no bandwidth and I had no inclination at the time to do, uh, okay, what's the best book on 
on anxiety? What's the best book on relationships? I needed one book that was sort of the Cliff's Notes guide to self-help, mental health, neuroscience. And so by the time it was time for me to sit down and write a book, I wanted to write the book that I could have used back then. And hopefully somebody else will find it useful like I would have. You know, I've, I've heard that from another author as well. They, they said it this way, that they, they, they say you should write the book that you would like to read, right? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. It's my show and tell also. It was really important to me not to just write a book of here are my thoughts on life, as interesting and fun as that is. It's, you know, here are really, really, really smart people and what they say. And here are tools that I've used as a human and as a clinician. And here's all my favorite stuff. Something in here is likely going to help someone. Yeah. So let's let's maybe define just a bit about stuck. When we say stuck, what does that mean to you? Uh, And then I obviously have some questions about that. But what what, what does stuck mean? (laughs) So I really like the word stuck because it's such a non, you know, non-pathological, non-shamey, you know, I don't care whether or not you identify as a highly functional person. We've all felt stuck in some area. I define stuck as I know the thing that I want to do. There's no logical reason why I shouldn't be doing it. I have the resources to do it and yet I am not doing it. Mm-hmm. So stuck is when we're in the gap between what we know we want and what we're actually choosing to do without factors like environmental issues or oppression or whatever. If you know what you want to do and you can do it, and you're not doing it. I call that stuck. Okay. Well, I think you just covered just what every human being on the planet, right? <laughs> because for, for everyone listening in your car at home or, uh, and for myself, I mean, that is, that's a perfect summation of, well, look, Britt, we all know what we need to do, but there seems to be something in our way from uh, moving forward. So there's tremendous comfort in what you said there that we are not alone. I'm not alone. Every, everyone is going through some sense of stuck in their lives. What, what have you picked up from the science or from your own years of practice? And what, what, is, what gets in our way from developing new habits or the, the, taking the action that we need? So the number one thing that renders us all stuck universally, and I very seldom do always, you know, everyone <laughs> never, but this is true. The number one thing that keeps us stuck is the belief that it is our faults. The shame that accompanies the belief that it's our fault is paralyzing. I called the book, the science of stuck, not to excuse it, but to say, Hey, there's some information that you don't have. And if you had it, things would start moving. It's like sitting in a car with no gas, thinking your car is lazy. Your car is not lazy and your car is not unmotivated. Your car needs gas. It doesn't have gas. Your brain is very much organized the same way. So when we think we are lazy or unmotivated, or we are just wired for procrastination, or we just have an addictive personality, we are going to create a swirl of shame. Shame has a very real physiological impact on our body and shame begets more shame begets us doing nothing. So knowing that there's science helps us get moving. Well, my gosh. Okay. So shame, is that a natural, uh, is that a natural part of being human or is shame something that is taught? I mean, define that for me as well. I think Brene Brown would probably be the person to do that best because that's her entire body of research. You know, I think guilt is an incredibly useful human emotion. If we don't have guilt, then we become sociopathic and narcissistic. So guilt is I have done something to injure someone. Guilt is great. Shame is different. Shame is not, oh, I feel bad because I made a bad choice. Shame is I am fundamentally flawed. I do not have the right to exist. There is something wrong with me. I don't think shame is an inherently natural trait, nor do I think it's functional. Guilt, yes. Shame, no. 
Okay. Well, hey, I, I, I want to commend you. Man, oh man, are you a great Instagram follow? Um, <laughs> wow. At Brit Frank, for those that are not, but you, th- you talk about thought provoking. I go to your, your page and your posts. I end up thinking about what you post for a long time afterwards. It lingers in a good way. Here's one of the things that was on there. Procrastination is a form of self-protection. It is not a character flaw. So you brought up procrastination. So unpack that for me just a little bit more because I want to learn more about this. (laughs) So it's so interesting to me that when I talk about procrastination not being a character defect, people get so angry and they're like, you're just making excuses. This is all. And I'm like, I'm a New Yorker born and bred. I am so type A wired for productivity. Go, 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 go. I am not excusing inertia or excusing your 10 hour Instagram scrollathon or whatever, but knowing what procrastination actually is, doesn't excuse it, but it does explain it. And the word procrastination is such a mushy nebulous. Like, what does that mean? Procrastination. You're not doing the thing, you know, you want to be doing that. You should be doing cool. It has nothing to do with what's happening in your brain. Procrastination is a function of your nervous system. It is a shutdown response. Again, it's not an excuse. It's just like, Hey, this is what's happening. And if you know what's happening, then you can change it. You can't change something. If you think the problem is you. It's the same thing again with your car. You can't drive a car with no gas. And that's not because the car is broken. Procrastination is not laziness, nor is it a character flaw. It is a nervous system for that, for whatever reason, is stuck in a state of shutdown or freeze. Or if you want to get technical, dorsal vagal shutdown. There you go. (laughs) We can work with it. Again, it's not like, hey, here's your excuse. It's here's your explanation. So knowing that that's the problem gives us tools to now effectively intervene and change it. All right. So now let's talk about that. So now you've defined that I'm aware that I procrastinate. Um, and I might, I might be using that as an excuse for myself. I mean, how do I, how do I then take, make the step to change something to create a habit without shaming myself? You can see I'm working through it here, Britt, in my own mind, right? How, how do I take that step? And how does your book help me and other people like me who are looking at situations like that. Well, if I may, what are you procrastinating? Like, where do you find yourself procrastinating? You know what? I end up procrastinating these big complex projects that um, are, yeah, they, they're filled with risk. And honestly, I'm probably not that interested in them. And that's like, I'm so glad you said that because those are two really, really big things. The word procrastinate is not descriptive. In order to change a habit or change something that we're doing, we have to describe it. Hey, I am not doing what I should be doing because I fundamentally don't want to do it. That is a much better starting point than I'm so lazy. Or I am afraid of taking this risk because of what it will do to my image and to my finances. Also a much better starting point than, oh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just a procrastinator. Let's use accurate language to describe what's going on. So then we can make choices. Okay. So what I just described then, you didn't hear any shame in that. I was, I was describing exactly what the, what the reason was why I'm procrastinating something. Right. And again, no shame. It's not about, oh, you should be so, you should feel so bad. It's, it's a reasonable thing to be afraid of change. It's a reasonable thing to be afraid of pain. If you want to start a fitness routine and you're like, I'm too lazy to go to the gym. No, you're not. You don't want to be in pain. So name that. I don't want to go expend energy because it's going to hurt. And I don't like being in pain. Great. That is a much better starting place. And I'm lazy again, doesn't excuse inertia, but let's say it. It's a reasonable response to not want to be in pain. It is a reasonable response to not want to risk your finances or your image. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it, but let's start with what's true instead of this random language that doesn't actually mean anything. 
All right. So in your book, uh, I saw one of the reviews on Amazon. This is from a gentleman. Uh, he, here, here's what he wrote. This is self-help without excuses and self-loathing. You're not broken. You're just stuck. Do you agree with that from Mel? <laughs> you know, I do. I don't believe humans are fundamentally broken. Do we do some crazy stuff? Yes. Do we make choices that annihilate our lives and our relationships and our sanity? 1000%. But if you understand the function of even our most crazy behavior is suboptimal self-protection, again, it doesn't justify it. It explains it. If you dig down underneath even the craziest of behaviors, you'll find, oh, there's an injury here that actually needs attention. It doesn't excuse bad behavior. But again, calling yourself lazy or broken doesn't change anything. So let's use language that will actually produce a sense of change. You're not broken. Sorry. You know, so with that in mind, is in your in your book, or give me your your thoughts on either the scientific research or your own opinion again on the um, how do we then create these new habits? Um, what advice do you have, or what does the science say about creating new habits then to get unstuck? Well, there's a lot of really wonderful research and tools and workbooks and things on mindset and change your mind to change your reality and create your thoughts. Create That's great. But if your autonomic nervous system is picking up a threat in the environment, whether it's real or perceived, it doesn't matter. Your autonomic nervous system will win in a fight with your logic every single time. Wow. So motivation is about your mind, but you can't use that until your mind turns back on. So motivation is first and foremost, a physiological issue. Let's fix the physiology so then you can access your thinking brain. Positive thinking will not get you out of an automatic physiological state of shutdown. You need other things to do that. It's like you can't build a house with a fork. You need the right tool. So positive thinking and mind over matter and just think I can do it, rah, rah. That won't work if your nervous system is, is parked. So we have to actually work with the body. We have this entire organism from our neck down called the body, and we're largely taught to ignore that. But mental health and motivation is primarily physiological and not just how you think. So I've got to follow up on the mental health comment there. But first, so all, everything you just said there, is this a subconscious uh, process or are we aware of what you just uh, laid out? Is the brain just tricking us? Uh, t tell me a little bit more about that. It's fascinating. It really is. And I was never taught, hey, Britt, you have an amygdala. And if your amygdala thinks something is threatening, it's going to send panic signals down your spine. I was never taught. Most people are not taught this because most therapists and counselors are not trained. It's amazing. You can become fully operational as a therapist and never once learn about the brain. It's like, what? Right. So what do we do? We get diagnosed. We get labeled. If you don't know that a nervous system in a state of fight or flight is going to produce what looks like anxiety, what looks like ADD, you're going to think this is my problem. And so it's not just that it's subconscious. It's that we're not informed about our own organisms. You're a biological organism. That organism is going to interact with your environment. And if your body is doing things and you don't know it's doing things, you're going to call that laziness or craziness or lack of motivation, but so important to know that you have a body and it does things. And if you know that it's doing things, your unconscious is now conscious and now you can work with it. Right. So now I'm, I think I'm picking up what you're laying down here. So that that labeling then creates more of that shaming process. Yes, exactly. And we're so quick. We all think we have the answer, right? My story of shame and incompetence is so compelling. It's such a compelling narrative to say, I just suck as a human, but it's not true. If there's information about your brain, you don't have, we're automatically, and children do this too, developmentally. If you don't give a child accurate information, they will immediately assume that they are the cause of the problem. Really? So 
It's absolute. They're little narcissists and they're supposed to be <laughs> developmentally. That is 1000%. It's problematic once you pass the age of five, but little kids, if a child's, you know, if a family member dies and you do not explicitly tell that child, Hey, grandma died. And that was not your fault. That child will immediately create a narrative where they are the fault. And I know this because I was trained as a play therapist and I worked with children. It's amazing that in the absence of information, the immediate assumption is it must be my fault. Oh my gosh. Now I I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a dad of three grown kids and I'm not trained um, in, you know, in obviously a licensed psychotherapist. Um, I didn't know that. I did not know that. And um, I'm still just amazed by that. Tell, okay. So from a parent standpoint, how, how, how do we as parents then be part of the solution on some of these things to help raise um, healthy kids that um, know how to handle being stuck. And no shame. This is such a big disclaimer for everything I do. If you're a parent and someone died and you didn't tell your kid, it wasn't their fault. That doesn't mean that your kid is now, you know, marked for life. You read so, you my know, mind. You read my it's, mind. It's not your fault. And generally what all of the trauma research with children has shown is if you're doing just a good enough job, your kids are probably going to be okay. You okay. don't have to get it right all the time. You don't have to get it perfectly. And largely, as long as you're generally doing a good enough job, keeping them safe, letting them know that they're loved, these other dings are not going to have a like long-term impact. So no shame if you are a parent. Thank you. Thank you. Now that said, if you do have little kids, it's so important to know that little kids need age appropriate information and not to be protected because to protect a child from pain is to set them up to not be able to handle the human experience. A parent's job is not to protect a child from pain. It's to equip them to be able to navigate a painful world in a, you know, in a way that still allows them the experience of joy and everything else that we want. So is that something you observe in your practice as well, that, that today's parents, this is a, such a biased leading question, you know where I'm coming from. Today's, <laughs> parent, today's parents are too protective of their children and not allowing them to fail, et cetera. Is that, is that real or is that just my own observation? Well, I'm biased because I have a pretty, you know, limited sample and my sample is largely people for whom this stuff is not working very well. So I will say this generally. As a parent, if you are doing things for your child that your child can do for themselves, the message, even though your intention is to be loving and kind and protect, and if you do for a child what they can do for themselves, you're teaching that child that you don't believe in them. Oh my. And sorry, sorry, mom and dad, again, no shame. If you've done this, this is super easy to walk back if they're young, but you need to teach children, hey, I believe in you. And the only way to teach a child, I believe in you is to allow them to experience some degree of pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. uh, how does this fit into the workplace? Um, the, this whole notion of science is stuck. I mean, look, uh, one of, one of the things I'm being stuck, I'm sure is in your career and yeah. wondering what's, what your next step is. And I know I've been in corporate America for gosh, 30 years. I've been stuck before. And I, I'm not sure if I can verbalize for you how I got unstuck, but how, how does the science is stuck impact those who may be thinking about making a career change, or maybe they're just in kind of a rut and that's my word, but what do you think? And rut's a great word to use. And it's so important to, again, not shame yourself. If you're feeling stuck in your career, but you have three children and a sick parent, and it's a 
global pandemic and you need this income from this job that you hate, at some level, you may want to give yourself a pass and say, I hate this job. I hate this career. I feel stuck, but the benefits to staying actually outweigh the cost. So I'm going to choose to stay. And that makes sense. Right. If you don't have resources and access to choices, it's really pointless to beat yourself up. However, if you are in a job that you hate and you do have choices and options, then the question is how do we reconfigure the cost benefit ratio so that staying actually makes less sense than leaving? Because we won't make a change unless the pain point is tripped. Yeah. You know, uh, I've heard the, the following phrase a lot during the last couple of years about it's this, show yourself some grace. And I've used that with others and other people have used that with me. And I'm just wondering, um, is that the appropriate language we should be using? Or is that introduce some kind of shame into this whole process? I, what, what I'm trying to say, and what I think people are trying to say to me is, look, cut yourself a little bit of slack, right? There's other things going on in your life at this time. And so, yeah, show yourself some grace right now. So I love this sentiment. It can get very tricky because showing yourself grace very quickly becomes, let me just excuse a bunch of bad behavior uh -huh. quickly. So it, rather than going with, give yourself a pass or cut yourself some slack, which are all lovely metaphors. And again, I love the sentiment, yeah. but let's change the language. If okay. someone came to me, rather than saying, give yourself some grace, I would say, well, what's actually true in your environment right now? Forget about how you feel, forget about, let's, let's not interpret what's actually true in your environment. And if you look at all the factors, grace just sort of becomes, it, it sort of takes care of itself. When you, I had a client earlier and we were talking about what's going on in their environment. And they said, oh my God, it didn't even occur to me that I'm trying to make this change while all of these other things are burning to the ground. Of course I'm feeling stuck. Of course I'm feeling unmotivated. So the grace and the self-compassion that takes care of itself if you're willing to look at your ecosystem and honestly assess what's actually happening here and not so much, I'm just going to give myself a pass on, you know, acting in a suboptimal way. I right. like what's true much more as a way of getting to that same sentiment. Yeah. Uh, one more time on that is, is that whole notion of what's true, as I'm thinking, is almost like an exercise. How does that notion fit into or is it is it part of the science of stuck, the kind of this this uh, toolkit, research-based toolkit. Is, is that mm -hmm. part of your book as well? It is because really stuck turns into unstuck the second you say yes to anything of any size. Really? And often, as soon as you say yes to something, you're moving. You know, you can't like sort of be in drive. You're either in park or you're in drive. You're either stuck or you're unstuck. So when people come to me and they say, I'm so stuck, and I say, let's do an honest inventory, we often find there's plenty of things they're doing well that they're not counting because they're either too small or they're too easy. Well, yeah, I took a walk today, but it's not like I ran the five miles I should have. Well, yeah, I cooked for myself tonight, but it's not like I prepped all of my meals. If you don't actually bank those small wins and those little yeses, you're going to feel stuck. But the fact is, is often we think we're stuck, but doing an honest inventory shows, oh, wait, no, there are some areas that are working. And the more you honor the small wins, the faster you're going to get the dopamine hit from doing that, which will give you the energy to go deal with the stickier stuff. Nice. Really nice. Uh, why, why do we miss these small wins with the, with the brain? Why do we miss it? I think largely because of social media and access to 24 seven information. We are so focused on where we're going that the small things don't seem like they matter at all. It's like, well, I don't have the influencer lifestyle. I don't have the, this or the, that or whatever. Well, how do you think those people got there? 
every single end game thing that you see came about from lots of little steps, little micro things that compounded over time. So if you're not going to bank those little wins, you're never going to be able to get that account up to what you're wanting. And so we're very quick to invalidate and minimize and shame ourselves because, well, yeah, it's not like I did the thing. Well, okay, fine. But you did what you could today. So let's bank that. And then let's use that as fuel for tomorrow and then so on and so forth. No, I think that's, that's, that's a great perspective. And I, I'm, I'm just doing an inventory of my own uh, life about that, those small wins. And you're right. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm honest with myself, it's when, those, when I just take note of the small wins, that does give me some inertia the other way. Mm-hmm. And how does it fit into gratitude, if I may ask? And the, and the whole notion of gratitude, I'm not even sure what gratitude is, as far as a <laughs> li- little bit squishy as well. But how does that fit into this whole notion of the science? Or mm-hmm. would you f- push back on that? So there's a lot of science about gratitude. My issue with the gratitude practice, you know, people who keep gratitude journals, and that's great having perspective on privilege and resources. And yay, I live in a safe place where things are not, you know, going south every which way. That's good. Perspective is wonderful. But to have gratitude at the expense of what's true for you. In other words, I'm just going to, I'm too blessed to be stressed and I'm going to ignore all my pain and just focus on the good that will actually render you inert because you're not working with your body. If your body is aware that there's a pain point, like, again, let's say you break your ankle, you can be grateful for your shoulders all day long, but if your ankle's broken, we need to be grateful for your shoulders and get an ACE bandage for your ankle. So for my clients, I have them, if they're going to do a gratitude practice, you have to do a gratitude practice concurrent with a acknowledging pain. I'm grateful for my income and I'm really sad that my mother, blah, blah, blah. I am grateful for my job and I'm kind of bummed out that I'm not able to do whatever the thing is. So really balancing the gratitude with the pain is what gets you unstuck because gratitude at the expense of truth will render you even more inert. That's why those practices don't always work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's that cycle, the circle of like self-doubt and shame, mm-hmm. right? We're back to it. And self-deception. Nothing will get you stuck faster than lying to yourself about yourself. And it's unpleasant to say, I don't want to get off my couch because I'm scared of taking a risk. Okay. Like that's a bummer, but it's true. It's messy. It's ugly, but it's true. If I'm like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll get to it later. That's a lie. And anytime we're in the self-deception, you're guaranteed to stay stuck. So truth is ugly, but it will get you moving a lot faster than the alternative. Fantastic. I mean, this whole word truth, I bet this has come up the word at least, you know, six, maybe a dozen times here in our, in our podcast interview. And you are very, very honest. Uh, and, and truth is there. I mean, if you go to your Instagram account and I, again, I would encourage everyone at Brit Frank to go there. Um, just really thought provoking things. You've mentioned a few of these phrases like too blessed to be stressed and others. I've got a lot of t-shirts with some of those phrases on them. I'm going to go, I'm gonna have to go get rid of all those things. It's sort of like if you're going to do too blessed to be stressed on the front, on the back, put, and I'm really sad too. So as long as you've got both, I think we have a whole merch opportunity here that we just uncovered, but you know it's what? really true to, there's nothing wrong with gratitude and there's nothing wrong with being aware of your blessings. But if you're going to count your blessings, make sure you count your injuries too, because any injury that's not named is going to quickly become infected. Anyone who has ignored a toothache is aware of this phenomenon. You ignore a toothache long enough, you're going to be getting a root canal. So our emotional lives, our goals, our productivity aims are all very much the same. Deal with the pain when it's small enough so you don't end up with the emotional root canal. 
Okay, Britt, you clearly are doing a lot of cool things uh, to help others. What Right now, what, what are some of the projects that you're most excited about? And I know the book is just unbelievable. Maybe it's, it's all about that. But what, what else is going on in your, in your life that you're most excited about giving you a lot of passion right now? So I'm super excited about the book. This has been a lifelong dream, but I'm also an amateur circus performer person. So I perform with a student group and we have a show coming up and I am very excited at being able to physically pull off the routine that I still can't do, but I have four weeks to pull it together. So I'm super pumped about that. Spinning on a giant hoop up in the air, upside down is really very fulfilling. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It doesn't, I mean, how high in the air are you? Even two feet is too high for me. How high are you? It's not Cirque du Soleil high, but I'm terrified of heights and I get vertigo and motion sickness. So being 10 feet off the ground spinning for me. I'm like, I just did the impossible for me. It's high enough to be scary, but not so high that it's, uh, it's we're students, but I love it so much. Doing circus stuff is a great way to turn my brain off because you can't really think when you're upside down. It's more like, uh oh, don't die. And that's a great place for me. <laughs> well, so you may just answer, but why, why are you doing that? Why? Why do I do circus stuff? Yeah. Well, as a analytical person that is neck deep in the human experience, and in conversation all day, every day, I have to turn my brain off. And at the end of my day, yoga doesn't cut it. <laughs> Sitting quietly and meditating doesn't cut it. I need something that will actually turn my brain off. And I have found nothing turns my brain off faster than a workout while spinning upside down. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to, I'm just going to assume that's true. Okay. <laughs> and it's fun and it's cool to be able to say, Hey, you know, I'm in my forties and I get to do these cool, crazy circus things. So yay. Very good. Hey, how, how should we follow you? Uh, you're doing some really, really incredible things, including circus acts. Uh, how should we follow you and learn more about what's going on? Uh, the circus thing is just the thing I like to do for myself, but I'm on Instagram at Britt Frank. You can find more about uh, of the book at scienceofstuck.com. You and I were chatting earlier. I'll be at the Sun Valley Wellness Festival in June, which is one of my favorite events all year anywhere. Sun Valley, Idaho is just magic. So I'll be doing that. And yeah. Come say hi. I love meeting everybody. Now that you brought up Sun Valley, Idaho. So for those that don't know, I am in Idaho. And we were talking before I hit record that um, I've never been to some of the great festivals in Sun Valley. So tell me about what is there about this wellness? Am I right? It's the wellness festival. What is there about this? Tell me more about what, what would I experience when I go there? So I have a very dear colleague who does incredible work with mindset and coaching, Dr. Sasha Hines. And so she connected me with the Sun Valley Wellness Festival. She wrote the foreword to the book and they just bring in incredible, you know, it's mind, body, spirit, physical, nutrition, you know, all of the things, everything from motivation and mindset to plant medicine to, if it's wellness related, it's probably at the Sun Valley Wellness Festival. And they have an entire thing where you can do experiential things. It's just so much fun. And in the post, I won't say post pandemic, but coming out of the pandemic inch by inch, it was so cool last year to actually be in person with people and to see what people in the wellness industry and the mental health industry are up to and to be able to touch things and walk around and smell things and eat things. So it's really cool to be back in person. Okay. I'm going to put that on my, I'm going to go research it right now. I'm going to check that out. Yes. I will. I'll see you there. Excellent. I will be there. All right. So last question here, Britt, uh, the science of being stuck, uh, the science of stuck. Um, what you've heard me ask you all these, all these basic questions, right. About this and learn more, but what is the, I don't know, one or two things that you think most people miss about this topic that you want to share with us about being stuck or getting unstuck. 
So the book title really like there is a scientific explanation for your state of stuckness. And I don't care what it looks like. I was a drug addict. That's a state of stuck. Having a bad, you know, video game addiction is a state of stuck. Watching an extra episode of TV instead of tucking your kids into bed is a state of stuck. It doesn't matter to what degree there is a scientific explanation for why you're stuck, which means there's a way out for whatever your thing is, again, assuming you're safe and you have access to your basic needs being met, et cetera, I promise you, whatever your state of stuck is, there is a way forward. And it's not that I'm sorry. I wish it was just that you were lazy because then you can have a good excuse for not doing anything. But none of us, if we're in a safe environment, have an excuse because this is who I am is not biologically accurate. We know from neuroplasticity, our brains change and our brains grow. And the brain you're in today is not the brain you'll be in next week, next month, next year. So whatever your thing is, there is a way out. Well, Britt, I'm, that's, that's I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you very much for being part of the podcast. It's been fun to meet you, and I, I'll see you in Idaho. And you've yes! given us, yeah, you've given us just some really great insights and this research-based toolkit, which is Science of Stuck. And so when I learned about your book. I just had to reach out, and I'm just so glad you said yes. I am so th- I am the the work that you're doing, the work that other podcasters are doing. It's just really thrilling for me. All of a sudden, my world has gotten full of really amazing, cool people. Every podcast interview, I'm like, can we be friends? I want to know you like afterwards. Fascinating discussion. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. All right. That's Britt Frank and The Science of Stuck. Make sure you pick it up. It's an incredible book. And I felt at times like this was my own personal uh, counseling session. So thanks for listening in. Now, uh, make sure you follow Britt on Instagram. You just have to, at Britt Frank. And also, um, share this episode with others. You've listened, and now who would benefit from hearing the same episode? Share it with them. Um, Take that next step. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, follow me on Instagram, at Darren Johnson one Leave me a message. Let me know how you're liking the podcast. And also, join the I Dare You Podcast community on Instagram, at I Dare You Pod. So get ready now for episode 15 next week. And thank you again for being part of these conversations. We're having a lot of fun and learning a lot together. And I really appreciate you being here. We'll see you next week.